0: It's always a, a, a pleasure and a privilege to speak to you all at, at Cornerstone. I always look forward to it. I was, I was talking to Vincent in the booth there. I don't know how many years I've been doing it. I think it's at least 15 years. Okay, And uh, Lord willing, I don't think it's going to be 15 more. Okay, <laughs> But uh, it's just a, just a wonderful grace. I always like to share what's going on in my life. Update. I preached uh, in the beginning of, of the summer, okay? And uh, you can't talk about what's happening without talking about what's happening in Thanksgiving time and Christmas, because this is a, technically the holiday season. We'd shift into another year. Uh, our minds are a little bit different. And uh, <clears throat> you can't talk about the season without talking about Black Friday and the sales that are on, on the docket, okay? I was in the, uh, my wife and I were in the, um, uh, 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 we needed a, a, a TV, okay. And uh, you know, I don't like to spend a lot of money. Got to tell you that. I go to Costco, and the temptation of like 50 big screen TVs. After you, they check your card. The temptation is right there, you know. And I've not bought a of TV in Costco. I, I, that's too much money. Too much money. I'll, I'll just buy the dollar 50 hot dog and the drink. You know, that's 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 more my speed, you know. And um, but on Black Friday. 55-inch, $349. Oh! The problem is Black Friday. Uh, buy it online. Have them place that $349 big screen TV to the side. You have a week to pick it up. Oh, man. I get the savings. I don't have to fight, get into any... Fist fights with other customers, you know? And I go in my convenience, and I, I, I got that got that TV, you know? Um, God gave me a brain, you know? That's what gave me a brain. Give thanks. I give thanks for that, okay? Now, another thing that happened is that uh, I took my grandson. I have my four grandchildren. My oldest grandson, like seven, seven and a half, took him to Legoland. It's close to San Diego. It's his first time with his uh, grandfather, okay? Just him and me. And it was his day. He decides the rides. He decides what to eat. He decides what to buy, okay? So it's his day, okay? I drive, okay? I drive, I drive. And, and But but he decides he had, had, had a wonderful time. And it's very important for me to do this. It's going to be, it's going to be, Uh, made clear as the sermon goes down, because every time I interact with my grandchildren, it's for an intended purpose that is not seen now. Well, Christmas time is gonna be a joyous time with family. I'm going to New York Wednesday, spending like three days in New York to see my mother. I always try to make a trip once a year to New York City uh, to see her. And my daughter's, one's coming from L.A., uh, and the other lives around here. They're gonna be celebrating Christmas together. But in the midst of all this joy and all this big screen TV viewing, you know, I mean, I can't wait to watch a football game after this. When I'm, you know, I'm gonna have to, like, sit further back, you know, at 55 inches, you know. I'm just joking, okay? But I'm not, I'm really gonna like it, okay? (laughs) You're gonna like it. There was some, like, there was a theme this past week about youth and about children. I teach theology as Pastor Terry said and my class meets on Wednesday night and the last class of the semester was this past Wednesday so it's very fresh in my mind. And I always begin class with prayer requests. And since this was the last day of the semester, I told the students, you better get your prayer request in because I'm not gonna see you until the next semester. So we had 10 people, it's like half the class asking for prayer requests. And there's two very distinct ones that are in my mind. One, a woman asked prayer for her daughter who teaches in San Ramon High School, in a high school in San Ramon, who's a student just took their own life, and that's always traumatic for the campus. Then, almost immediately after, another student a man who helps at, uh, 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 in the San Jose school district said that gangs are recruiting sixth graders on his campus now. And he said, the reason is because you know, they can do crimes, and you know, they're, 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 they're youth, you know? so they're not going to be tried as adults. And he said, they're hopping over the fences, and we're trying to like, try not to get you. And here's the extreme. San Ramon's wealthy, and you got some pressure here. And then you have at-risk kids, and it's, and it's a different issue. But what unifies them is that there's something happening amongst the youth in our society now. And I'm not saying there was never, you know, it's not that youth were always perfect in every age. It's like it's a different type of tension now. And it's happening younger. Uh, yesterday morning, I was eating my, uh, breakfast with my wife. My wife made pancakes and bacon, my two favorite uh, food groups. And so what you do is you put the <laughs> bacon in the pancake. You fold it. You don't even need a knife and fork, man. It's, it's like a wonderful thing, you know? And so she was sharing about, like she's a public school teacher, and she was sharing about how in her school, a grade school kid was saying, I want to take my life and the pressures. I read a survey uh, just, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, a British group, uh, Havas. Havas. I don't know how to pronounce it. But they, they surveyed millennials in Great Britain. They said, oh, it's Great Britain. You know what? Who are those people? You know? I mean, OK, they speak English, OK? We came from Great Britain, OK? Uh, the colonies, OK? They surveyed millennials, 18 to like mid-30s, about how technology has affected their life. Seventy percent of Brits say that the smartphone has weakened the human bond with each other. Okay, because everything's now you know 140 characters and a smiley face. You know. <laughs> Not only that, 20 percent said they would prefer living in the virtual world than in the real one. I said only 20%. I think Americans got that beat. Okay, I think I think it's like 25%, you know, 22% in America, you know, cuz we, we don't lose to Brits, you know. We always win. You know, so we got to have more. We have more, you see. I joke around, but I'm really serious. The virtual world and the reality because, you know, you can't cope. So you escape. You escape. Then they said 42% of millennials in Great Britain Become sad when they compare their online description with the online description of other people. 42% become sad over that. And I think, I said, oh, wow. It's even going to be worse with the upcoming generation, you know? And then you see what's happening in society, and it says, oh, whoa, this is this, and I've got got grandchildren, you know, I have grandchildren, you know. I could have this mentality, I'm getting old. Who cares about them, you know? No, no, no. As a Christian, we care about every generation and every group of people, whether they are wealthy or whether they are at risk. That is the heart of Christ to all people. How does Christ address this? How does God address this? They just like let it slide, you know? Oh, you know, I got other things to do. Commanding angels, you know, and then you know, making sure that the, the, the seas wave, you know, things like that. Yeah. No, what, what does he do? And so we have this message, Christ the problem solver. And it's built around three passages in the Old Testament. And as we transition into the body of the message, I have to explain why I chose these three passages. Two are from the book of Genesis, one is from the book of Deuteronomy. You say, what are these books? Okay, they are the first and last books of what we know as the books of Moses, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Genesis is the first, then there's the three ones in the middle, Exodus and then Deuteronomy, okay? And they are the earliest part of the Old Testament. If you are uh, Jewish, that becomes the foundation of the heritage. The prophets, the kings, they all come from these first five books. Very old, 1,500 years before Christ came. You know, uh, you know they're, they're penning this, okay? And so the reason why I took these is because you need to see Christ not as like a recent addition, but rather something God has been planning for from the beginning of how he was dealing with people through his ancient people. There was something that he said, ah, there's a problem in this world, and we got to solve it. The first one is found in Genesis 3. And before I read it, i got to give you a little historical setting. Genesis 3 is the part, the chapter of Genesis was the fall of man and what we call the judgment oracle. You so say, what is judgment oracles?" Well, because uh, the evil comes into this world, there's going to be ramifications of that fall. And Genesis 3 is one of them. Now, this is the first one, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, I being God, between you and and here's the thing, who's he talking to? And the woman, which is actually Eve, and between her seed, your seed, who, who is you? And her seed, he shall bruise you, who in the world is you? On the head, and you, who in the world is you? You know, you get that. Who, who's he talking to? Man, you know, the fall, he's on a saint. Because at the very beginning, God understands that there is a problem and the pro- one of the main issues in the persons is the problem of Satan. Problem of Satan. And you know what? <clears throat> in this world, you have different cultures that have different sort of spiritual sensitivities. There are some cultures that are very sensitive to the spirit realm and their worldview is uh, connected to another dimension of existence. But in the United States, we're coming to a time in our life where less and less is there any tie to the spirit realm, okay? I often ask in my class, how come during the ministry of Jesus, Satan did a lot of uh, uh, sending his demons to uh, possess people? and you hardly see it today. You hardly see it, you might see one, but you, you hardly see it in America, okay? And I, I ask the question, why? And I, I give them my answer, because sometimes it's a hard one. I said, look, if the purpose of Satan is to drive you away from God using any technique he has at his disposal, if he is working in a place where the culture is following a God, but not the true God, I'm going to do is I'm going to scare you out of your wits. Because when I scare you out of your wits by some creepy person next to you that is doing supernatural stuff, it's going to drive you to your God, which is not the true God. But if Satan works in a place where perhaps Christianity is known, why would I want to scare you out of your wits, man? You're gonna call some priest, call Pastor Terry, you know? Someone else, you know, call call Lewis, you know, call call Paul, you know. Don't wanna do that. Don't want to drive you to the true God. So I'm gonna cause a system that makes it so you don't need God. Holy cow. They're both at his disposal. He's not gonna scare you out of the wits, your wits. He's going to create a system in which you are engrossed in yourself. And in scripture, there is many passages that tells what that would look like, and it revolves around two great themes, sensuality and materialism. And I think that's how he works here. And he's working just as hard as he, all over the world. It just looks a little different, OK? Now, you have the problem of Satan. We then have a second problem, and that's found in Genesis chapter 6, only three chapters later, but it's a really a different story. To give you the historical setting, it is the time of Noah, and the reason why God has to do this, this flood and the boat and stuff like that, and some themes of deliverance is, is, is seen early in, in, in God's plan, but this is the reason why. Genesis six, verse five and six, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Now, there's a theological issue here. How could God be grieved in his heart? Now, we don't have a lot of time here, okay? All I wanna say, it gives you a different understanding of who God is because of, instead of a distant God, he is a God that is affected by the human condition. And the human condition is there's something systemic in the heart and the deepest recesses of our values and how we do things. That in this words are wicked. I think what's happening in the United States just recently, I read a lot of news. My wife says I read too much news. I said, what else are you gonna do? You know, watch big screen TV? <laughs> Might as well read news on the internet while I watch big screen TV. I could do two things at one time. OK? And what's in the news right now? Sexual abuse and abuse of power in all places. Man, I can't believe it. Almost every week, someone's ta- being taken down. In Hollywood, directors, producers, actors, agents. OK? TV, won't mention names, you know? But you know, big, a big guy, you know? Politics, <clears throat> And I love this, politics, because it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, or you're a socialist, whatever, you know? They're taken because there's something systemic wherever there is power and money without an override <clears throat> of something greater that can control that and, 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 and put that under some sort of suppression. You get power and money, run right amok. And people abuse it. And it doesn't matter what you say. It's in the heart, man. It's in the heart, the systemic. It's not only in Hollywood or New York in television or in LA in television. It's in politics. It's, it's in the workplace, too. And you get Uber. It's only, about, it's only a matter of time when it's revealed in the workplace. Because you know what? Here it is. It's not like, oh. Oh, sexual abuse only has occurred uh, in the last 30 years because, you know, before 1980, it didn't exist. you got to be kidding, man. you got to be kidding. Oh, no, no, we caught the six perpetrators in Hollywood. Everyone else is great. Ha, you got to be kidding, man. you got to be kidding. Oh, no, the five politicians who were outed, you know, for sexual abuse and groping and all this type of stuff. Oh, you know, all the other senators and the congressmen are great. No, man, they're shaking it in their boots, man. <laughs> because you know what? It's a systemic problem with the values of this world and Satan creating alternative God universes in the inability of humanity. And we just buy into that. Oh, man, that's kind of sad, you know but I feel it, there's more anxiety now, and I see a darkness in this world. The last passage is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. So what's the book of Deuteronomy? It's the last book of these five books of Moses, and 32 uh, plays a very important place in these five books of Moses, because it's in a section called the Song of Moses. You say, what in the world is a Song of Moses? Okay, we're not talking Pop music here. Okay, we're not talking Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, you know, whatever, whatever you like to listen to. Songs in the Old Testament were sort of poems that had a prophetic uh, tone to it. It'll explain what will happen. And so this song of Moses is at the end of this Pentateuch, and it's sort of Moses' parting thoughts prophetically, in in poetry of what's going to happen. And it's very interesting, 3221. They have made me jealous. Who are they? The people Moses is delivering and the nation that will come. With what is not God, they have provoked me to anger with their idols. These are God's people who Moses delivered. So I will make them jealous with those who are not my people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. You know what this says? Here you have the Hebrews. They did not enter the land yet. So they're technically Hebrews rather than Israelites, okay? And Moses is already saying, you know what? It's not going to work out, man. It's not going to work out, man. It's after all like the the, 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 10th commandments. I don't know if you ever saw the movie with Charleston Heston, you know? Charleston Heston is like, it's like, wow, you know, you, you see that movie, you know, you think, oh, God is like, you know, c- cannot be stopped, you know, especially with Charleston Heston, he's a tall guy, good looking, you know, can't stop Charleston Heston, man, can't Charleston, you know, you could try all the fair, you Yul can't stop him, uh, Edward G. Robinson in the movie cannot stop him because it's Charleston Heston, man, he's like, I, 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 you can do all things, you know, look, at the end, it doesn't work. Because there's a third problem. There's not only a problem of Satan, the problem of humanity is a problem of religion itself. It cannot save. Because there needs to be something that is much deeper that'll deal with the human condition. And that will be Christ, the ultimate problem solver. Because in a passage that I tried to, wanted to capture what Christ will do. found in the Gospel of John chapter 16 verse 33 and it reads like this these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace peace then but not now no peace in every generation who understands what the purpose of Christ is in the world you have tribulation tribulation then but not now no every generation speaks to us now peace Tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You see, Christ comes in humility and he comes in time and he comes as an example of sacrifice of how we are to live. Yeah, but he comes as the ultimate problem solver of the dilemma of mankind because it runs systemically deep within our soul. Now, say, what, what does it look like? What does it look like? Well, I gotta tell you, when I went to uh, LA for Thanksgiving, one of the people that I'd been talking to, uh, his relatives, I needed to just speak with. You see, I am pastor, I am professor, I am husband, I am father, Seven people can call me Uncle, Uncle Jeff. I don't think any of you can call me Uncle Jeff without a mocking tone, which I will disdain and hate you for the rest of your life. <laughs> you call me Uncle Jeff. You cannot call me Uncle Jeff. But seven people can call me Uncle Jeff. And going to LA, there was an individual who had um, issues in life, drinking issue. He fathered a child that he does not love and does not want, with a woman he doesn't want nothing to do with. He has a job that he hates. He has a father that he does not, he doesn't have a good relationship with. He has seizures, which probably is a byproduct of other things that he was doing in his life. And so his mom, which is my sister-in-law on my wife's side, wanted him to talk to Uncle Jeff. Got to talk to Uncle Jeff. Uncle Jeff solves all problems. I said, gee, thanks. And myself, you know? You know, outwardly, sure, I'll talk to him. Inwardly, I say, gee, thanks. <laughs> gee, thanks. You think, you think I'm magic? You know? You think I'm, you know, Uncle Jeff is magic? You know, I mean, I mean it's, very, it's very interesting. You know, I, I don't spend, spend time talking to this person. I'm not, you know, he lives in LA, I'm, I'm, I'm here, so, you know, I've seen him grown up, but this, ver- it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing, you know, oh, you know, talk to Uncle Jeff about, about, you know, how to pray. Talk to Uncle Jeff about, you know, uh, why am I sad? No, I just told you what I'm gonna talk to this person about. So I got to talk to him, I, I took my grandson to Legoland on Tuesday. I'm all exhausted, because it's this bundle of fun. And on a Wednesday, I drove up the 405, drove east, and I met him at Panero Bread, a young man in his 20s. And I said, whatever you tell me, I'm not going to tell your parents. And he told me about everything that was happening in his life, everything for an hour and a half, and Panera and Bread. I like Panera Bread because it's a great place to eat, OK? <laughs> and they have booths, and you could, you know, you could talk. They don't care about you know they, they don't care. It's not like Starbucks. Everyone's you know, you're talking. You know, <laughs> Panera Bread. You know, that's, that's the place. That's the place. And when he would share, he spoke about 90% of the time. And every so often, I would share him some spiritual advice over each of these issues. There's about six of them we talked to an hour and a half. He was very articulate. So how does it look like for Christ to be the problem solver? Well, Uncle Jeff is not the problem solver, okay? Uncle Jeff is this old Asian man, (laughs) okay? Got, you know, grain, you know? Got that two-tone look. Even the white's going to go all the way to the tip of my hair in a few more years. So I got a little black up here, you know? But Uncle Jeff knows a god. And so I gave him some advice, some practical advice, some spiritual advice. And I prayed for him. Right there in Panera Bread. See, what does it look like? Christ is a problem solver. It's not like it all disappears, you know? It all disappears. I'll just praise for you. It all disappears. No, it doesn't disappear. What this person need he need a reset button. Because there's a lot of things he's going to have to do. And I told him, this things you're gonna do. You just like the blink and everything goes away. No, there's things I will do. But you need a reset button. And in Christ, there's reset. That's one of the great things about Christianity and about Christ, because of forgiveness and about graciousness. There's always a reset button. No matter what you did in life, there is a reset. And some of you need the reset button. I'm like my nephew. I just told you what he did. And the thing is, he, you, you're pro- you, know, you might be in the same boat, but you might probably not the whole thing, you know? I also prayed for his parents, with his parents, both his mom and father separately. I was talking to his mom, and she is um, uh, dealing with cancer, but the second round. And I asked her, how's the, how's the medication she's taking and you're taking? And she said, um, it doesn't take it away. It only slows it down. And when she said that, I knew what she was saying. And I saw on her face. And I said to her, can, I, can I, 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 I'm just gonna pray for you right now, man. And then I prayed with her husband, my, sis, my wife's brother, to bear his burden. Now these people don't need the reset button. They don't need the reset button. They need the comfort button in the midst of a, of a situation that will probably not end well that they are taken to the end game in Christ. Because ultimately, Christ will resurrect us from the dead, and there will be completion. But in this interim, that's not the reset, it's the comfort button. And some of us need that in terms of really chronic situations that we see it's going to end our lives, you know? the comfort button that you finish the course in the end game. Some of you need that. And then some need to deal with our children. I began my message with stories about children, about youth. And I began with my taking my Uh, Grandson to Legoland. Why do I take my son to Legoland? And I tell my wife, we talked about my grandchildren a lot. We're very close to our grandchildren. And he's seven years old. And to be honest, I'm a little too old to go to Legoland, okay? I'm a little too old, okay? Okay, I'm playing. He's seven. I'm not playing for when he's seven. I'm positioning myself when he's 17. 17. And when he's 27. Because with children and youth, someone will need to speak into their life about Christ. And someone they trust. Because God works through people. That's something I know, okay? And I'm positioning myself so when he's 17 or 27, his grandfather, who took him to Legoland and bought him Lego fries, (laughs) can talk to him about things like I did to my nephew. Christ is an answer. He will work through you to provide the answer which I know, a dear, in my heart exists. When my students ask prayer requests for a wealthy school district and students dealing with depression and an at-risk school district where they are at risk of joining gangs in life of crime, I prayed for them, but before I prayed, you know what I told my students? This is the perfect setting for you students to minister the gospel of God to youth and children. Who wants to do it? But unless we do it, we abdicate them to the societies and values and... uh, Values of society. It's not an easy thing. It is not. It will take a degree of perseverance. But Christ is the answer. Sometimes you need the reset. And if you understand the grace of God, the more you understand and treasure that reset. Some comfort. Some need foresight to mold the next generation. Because in default mode, this place is under the influence of the enemy. And by nature, we are weak of heart. Allow Christ during this time to uplift you, to comfort you, to reset you, to energize you to be a minister, both men and women, for the cause of Jesus, to be an influence of the grace of God in this world. Allow me to pray for you, my friends. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends, at Cornerstone, wherever we are, Protect us from the values and systems of this world, which finds its basis in sensuality and materialism. If we are caught in that, allow us to ask forgiveness, to be honest, and reset and the change by the cross and the forgiveness and the grace of God. May we be in a positive influence to those around us in this world. So we pass on our faith to the next generation so that they will have a mark of you in the midst of this society we live in. May we have a love for this world as you have a love for this world and a love for people. For we pray this in Jesus' name. ¿Verdad?